Welcome to the Lead and Follow podcast. I'm your host, Sharna Fabiano, author of the book, Lead and Follow. And I'm pleased to bring you the latest research, insights, and educational techniques in the emerging field of followership to help you connect and collaborate better with the people around you, whether you're leading or following. Please do leave us a review in your favorite podcast app, and thanks so much for listening. Today, I'm speaking with David Elser, a learning and development professional based in Coldwater Lake, Michigan, who has over 30 years of experience in the transportation industry. He works with employees at all levels, from essential frontline workers to executive leaders. David has a master's degree in organizational management and is a certified professional coach. And last year, he fulfilled a promise to his grandparents by publishing his book, Doing the Chores, which shares leadership and especially smart followership lessons from his upbringing on a small family farm in Northwest Ohio. I discovered David's book myself recently and was excited to see another practical resource on followership, especially one with such a relatable physical metaphor like farming. I'm really looking forward to hearing some of his stories and learning more about his concept of smart followership. David, welcome to the podcast. Wonderful, wonderful. Thank you for a wonderful introduction. And I cannot express how excited I am uh, to be a participant on your podcast. Well, thank you very much, Sharna. You're very welcome. I just want to start by asking you to share with listeners what inspired you to write Doing the Chores? You know, that's uh, such a great question. And it's it's such a bittersweet memory. I was currently living out in Phoenix, Arizona at the time around the turn of the millennium. And I decided to fly home and visit uh, my family around the holidays. So I went back to the family farm and visited with my grandparents. And it was a, a snowy, cold Christmas type feeling, right? You know, the snow was falling outside. And we just started having a reminiscent about the days of growing up on the farm with all of uh, my siblings and, the, and and my cousins. There was uh, 12 of us, 12 grandchildren, calling myself. And we started talking about all of the, the experiences and such. And obviously, my grandparents were asking me about my travels because I traveled a lot for the company that I worked for. And the conversation kind of went somber because they felt bad that they weren't able to help us out uh, more growing up, help us, you know, pay for school and off to college and get a good start because farming during the 1980s was very, very challenging. You know, I'll give you an example. The interest rates on operating loans was 18 percent. So it was it was very challenging. So they felt very somber. And I just I, I just sat there and I said, well, grandma and grandpa. You know, you gave all of us grandkids more than you ever know. And grandma goes, well, well, what's that? And I said, you gave us a strong work ethic. You taught us about a strong work ethic. And the process that you uh, helped us build our knowledge, skills, and abilities and discover our ambition to lead was simply outstanding. And um, I never see my grandpa cry. And uh, he got a couple of tears in his eyes, I, I admit. And so I made a promise right then and there that I would write a book about the experiences of, of growing up on a small family farm. And they were just flabbergasted. They couldn't believe it. And it took me a while, seven years. Um, and I didn't get started until a few years uh, later, but I eventually fulfilled that promise. What a beautiful story. And listeners are going to find out in this episode what a great storyteller you are. But before we get into like the stories of the book, I was intrigued by this term following smart. Could you maybe give us a little introduction to that and like where that comes from in your background? 
Yeah, absolutely. This phrase was really important to me because when my grandparents would train us to do a particular chore, and I'll give you a quick example. Grandpa might say, hey, Dave, I need you to go out to the machine shed and hop into 2510. That's a John Deere tractor size. Thank you. Yeah. I'll try to explain some of the farming lingo here and there if I can. So we, you know, take the John Deere tractor, you know, get it out of the machine shed and and uh, take it to the Marsh farm and drop the wagon off and bring back the other wagon. And I said, okay, sure, Grandpa. And he would always say, well, and be smart about it, you know, and be smart about it. And so what he meant by be smart about it was, well, I just didn't hop in the tractor and drive down the road and go. No, you had to make sure the tractor had oil. You had to check the oil, make sure you had enough diesel fuel, and make sure you be careful when you hook the wagon up to the hinge. Don't hit the barn when you're pulling it out. <laughs> and when you're going down the road, you know, you be careful because there's oncoming traffic. It was a busy road. It was on US 20. It was a really busy road. And, you know, and I'm only like, I don't know, 14 years old at the time, right? Driving the tractor on the road. And then when you get to the field, make sure you put a rock underneath the wagon so the wagon doesn't, you know, roll down the hill. So when he said, be smart about it, that's what he meant. So that's what I meant. When we were ever assigned a chore or given a responsibility, we wanted to make sure that we performed it effectively and safely. And we were smart about it. Smart followership. (laughs) I love that. And it so beautifully illustrates the followership role and how it how it complements the leadership role. Like it's it's not practical for the leader always to say, you know, do that long list of things, right? Attached to this task. But if you have the expertise, if you understand, you know, how to do it well, then the follower in this case, you with the director knows that, okay, this request actually includes all of this detailed knowledge and expertise. And it's my job to apply that to the task. I love that. It's like, you know, such a great kind of division of labor and like understanding of the complementary role. So thank you for that. Yeah, absolutely. I think I, I talk a lot about it, um, that leadership and what I call smart followership are, are complementary roles, not competing. That's something that I try to communicate as much as possible when I talk about smart followership skills. David, do you have an official definition of smart followership for us? for those who might want to start thinking about this in the workplace or in another environment beyond the farm? Sure. I define smart followership as demonstrating the ability and willingness to enthusiastically and effectively provide support. Let's get into some of your stories. So whatever you'd like to share here, I know you have lots of stories in the book, so we won't spoil the whole thing uh, for those who want to run out and get it. But share with us a few of those smart followership skills that you learned on the farm. This example was, it was a hot summer day. We were baling straw. We're on the back of the wagon, stacking the straw bales on the wagon. And my grandpa was driving a tractor and Brett, my cousin Brett was on the wagon with me. And my other cousins was at the barn loading the straw bales into the hay mow. Well, we we're on the wagon and all of a sudden I'm like, oh man, Brett, do you, do you smell that? And he's like, yeah, it's probably a skunk in the woods because we could smell the wind was blowing, give us a little bit of a breeze and we could smell that and well, have familiar odor, that skunk odor, right? And um, so we didn't think anything of it. But, you know, uh, after we made another round, lo and behold, we actually bailed up that poor skunk. So, uh, which made the odor really, really bad. But we didn't know, but the skunk sprayed on some of the earlier bales. And those bales made it back to the hay mow. 
So when the bales went up inside the hay, mom, my co- other cousins and my brother were up in there and it was really bad. It stunk really bad. So to make a long story short, they were mad. They took the first tractor out to the field. Brett, Day, and I were all arguing, how could you bail up a skunk, you idiot? Blah, 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 right? And probably using some words that we probably shouldn't, that would probably made grandma unhappy. But um, grandpa did nothing. Hmm. He did nothing. He just stood there and let us have at it. And then eventually he stepped in and said, okay, what are we going to do about this? Finish the field. What are we going to do? And that's where we came up with the solution. We would rotate shifts from the wagon to the hay mow and so on and so forth. But that's an interesting example, in my opinion, where grandpa, he could have stepped in in and managed the conflict, right? Mm -hmm. And led us through a solution, but he didn't. He stepped back and he let us come up with a solution in which we all agreed upon. So I feel like that story really uh, describes how even leaders can step back and follow smart for the good of the group. I love that story. And I want to ask you even a bit more about it because you're articulating something that I think is important and which has become somewhat of a theme on the podcast, which is that even if you have a formal leadership title, the acts of leading and following are still somewhat fluid. So wherever you are in an organization, you will still need both of these skills to be successful, to work well with others. I wonder if you have any guesses about your grandfather's intentions. What made him step back and make that very savvy choice when there was conflict? That's a very good question. Um, And I thought actually think about this the other day because, you know, my grandparents were farmers, you know, and and they didn't go to uh, any leadership training courses or anything like that. Some of us were all fortunate to do. A lot of the lessons were passed down from generation to generation because my family have always been been farmers for, you know, hundreds, hundreds of years. Right. And so I think it was just the lessons passed down. And I just feel like it was a lesson that he learned from his grandfather or his grandmother or grandpa our grandma along the way and just said, you know, sometimes it's, it's best to step back and uh, let her come up with a solution and then we'll implement it and we'll move forward. Yeah. Beautiful. That lived experience is often like just such a powerful teacher. And it's reminding me of an, another episode. I'll point listeners to the, an older episode with Tom Klaus who's a change management expert in the nonprofit sector. And he makes a really, Tom, um, my other guest makes a distinction between buy-in and ownership. And it feels like ownership is what you're talking about here, where if the titled leader, you know, the recognized leader knows when it it's best to step back and kind of follow the group, the stronger, more lasting, more meaningful solution can sometimes emerge. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That's an excellent example. Yes. I wonder if you've seen that dynamic in the workplace at all? Like, could you translate a little bit um, for us here based on your experience? The most effective manager is a manager, in my opinion, that collaborates well. In order to effectively collaborate, I believe you have to know when to step up and lead and then when to step back and follow smart. Collaboration is the key, right? It really improves engagement with your folks. And if your folks are engaged, obviously, uh, they're happier, which translates to better retention, better productivity, and so on and so forth. It cascades downward, so to speak, or upward, however you're looking at it. But uh <laughs> Yeah. So I I hear a lot about being a collaborative leader. And to me, being a collaborative leader is knowing when to lead and when to apply leadership skills and then when also to, to apply smart followership skills. 
So well said. Yeah, I love that definition of collaboration. It's so clear and simple, yet it's not easy to do. What else can you tell us about life on the farm that has some some smart followership lessons? Well, you know, Sharna, have you ever watched that YouTube video? It's talking about building momentum. And there's this one gentleman out dancing in a field and then someone else sees this person and, and they go out there and the first follower comes out and starts dancing and they create a momentum. The video David is describing here is often referred to as shirtless dancing guy. And it's a much beloved resource in the followership community. If you haven't seen it yet, take five minutes and watch it. We'll link to it in the show notes. Yeah, I, I love that video. and I, I've played it over and over. And here's an example of that on the farm. Uh, one day, my cousin Brett, Dane, and my cousin Lori and I were sitting in the haymow and we're playing in the haymow, building the straw forts and stuff, doing what kids do on the farm. And Brett all of a sudden had an idea. Hey, let's climb to the type of the silo. Again, if people on the listening on this don't know what a silo is, it's those big, tall cement structures that are on a picture of a farm. Well, Brett decided, let's climb the silo so we can look up and see, you know, how far we can see a beautiful Northwest Ohio. And uh, my cousin Dave's like, yes, let's do it. And Lori's like, eh, I'm not so sure. Maybe we should tell her parents. And I was like, uh, I don't know. Right. But lo and behold, Brett, you know, um, he could sell you ice during the winter if you're, you know, outside camping. I mean, he's one of those guys that's just can just sell anything. Right. So he convinced everyone to do it. And uh, Brett went up first, then Dane, and then Lori, Lori slowly climbed. I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to do it. But Lori was the first follower, so to speak. And she encouraged me, you can do it, Dave, you can do it. I got halfway up and a pigeon flies by and I do what everybody says don't do when you're climbing. And I looked down, uh, I just froze and I was shaking. And uh, But she encouraged me and I end up, um, you know, getting all the way to the top. I looked around for two seconds, then I quickly climbed back down and I got sick behind the barn because I was so nervous. Just telling that story, Sharna, uh, the butterflies still get me to this day. You know, I can actually imagine several different lessons from this one silo story. Which one was the strongest for you? You know, the lesson is that when you're being persuaded, you have other options. So when a leader is trying to persuade you in a direction that is illegal, unmoral, immoral, unethical, or against your organization's policies, you have to you have a right to follow smart and not do it. Be a whistleblower. Go lead in a different direction. You know, do something else. Otherwise, you end up getting grounded for a month. <laughs> the power of, I guess, you know, we would call it in in grade school peer pressure. Right. There's a natural tendency to go with whatever the group is doing, like even if you have real reservations. So it's not to, you know, excuse it, but to understand it, right? Understand we all have that pull as humans and it takes something, right? It takes courage, internal fortitude to make the choice not to follow sometimes, right? And to understand that followership isn't like guaranteed, right? That it's still a choice. Right. You know, one of the key phrases that, that my mom would repeat to us, especially after uh, that episode of climbing a silo, which I, anybody listening out there, don't climb a silo. It's it's very dangerous. <laughs> but um, uh, she, you know, uh, she found out and she would just simply say, well, you choose your behavior, you choose your consequences. And, you know, that's how we end up being ground for for a month. And of course, I said, well, mom, Brett, you know, he kind of coaxed us into doing this. This is all Brett's fault. And mom's like, well, if Brett told you to jump off a bridge, would you do it? I'm like, no. 
So to me, smart followership is choosing your behavior, choosing your consequences. That that really that really stuck to me to this day. Yeah, I'm sure listeners can imagine similar sort of conflicted choices they're making. I wonder if there are any specific ways that you have kind of brought doing the chores thinking into organizational life, you know, either for yourself or for those you coach or those you manage. An organization or a school or a business, they all have a code of conduct, right? I'm sure our listeners are filled with a code of conduct. I challenge them to go to your, the code of conduct and do a quick word search. How many times do you find the word lead? How many times do you find the word follow? And typically on a code of conduct, for example, a lot of times the word follow appears much more <laughs> than, than lead. Really? That's interesting. I didn't know that word came up so much in those documents. Yeah. So I, I try to do that little activity as much as possible, you know, and then even when it comes to human resources or if you're a manager, I challenge them to think to, think to yourselves, how many times were you, you know, either praised or written up, you know, on a performance improvement plan or even recognized? Um, how many times did that occur if you were following a policy or process or a procedure? I think that's a really great place to start a conversation about followership, not necessarily with interpersonal roles or ranks where we're talking about supervisors and direct reports, but on this conceptual level, because in some environments, it might be a bit easier to relate to this idea that we are all of us following a code of conduct or a set of values or a set of principles because we believe in them or because we've agreed to them or because they are meaningful to us in some way. Right. Are there any other ways, David, you like to talk about followership? I just flat out use the word as much as I can, to be honest with you. So, for example, if someone gives me direction on doing something, I'll be like, yes, I agree. I will follow your direction on this. But I have an ask for consideration that maybe this might change the direction of where we're going. Yeah, I like that. I also like your phrase, I have an ask for consideration. And I like that because it implies that you are still supporting the decision of whoever you're speaking to, right? You're saying almost like implicitly, I acknowledge and respect you are the person who's going to make this decision. And I have an ask for consideration, right? I would like you to consider this as you make your decision. I think that's a really elegant way of following. Right. It, you know, another thing I like to say is, you know, to, to a leader that's working on, or trying to move a project along or a process along or a vision along to help support that, I would often ask, what can I stop, start or continue to make sure that I can best align and support you and the team on this project? You know, how can I follow along appropriately? You know, I, I just use the word as much as I possibly can. Great. Another great suggestion. Yeah. Thank you for that. And that helps leaders, I would think, you know, I mean, I can imagine if I'm a leader and someone says that to me, like, oh, it helps me think through, you know, what exactly I need to ask for. And many titled leaders, you know, official leaders are so busy that they don't often have that mental space. So you're really helping them just with the question. What else can you tell us about smart followership in the context of talent development and career development specifically? Well, you know, um, I wrote the book for basically three reasons. One is that I wanted to give managers a tool that he or she can use to help mentor their folks. A lot of talent development books out there talk about how to become a great leader, right? Which is great. That's great. 
my book talks a little bit about what did great leaders do. And great leaders, in my opinion, create more leaders. They create the groundwork for success for individuals. But also, um, I am passionate about helping those that work the front lines um, get recognized for leadership opportunities or for an advancement, uh, you know, a, a, an advancement in their career. And that's why um, I think doing the chores can do is it can help them get recognized for more um, opportunities for him or her. And, uh, and Shana, the, basically the, the last reason why I wrote the book is that I really wanted to recognize farmers out there that do such a great job at not only feeding the world, but also do such a great job at creating the next generation of talent. <laughs> and I was hoping that any farmer that reads my book would be would be proud and look back and say, yeah, that's exactly how I raised my grandkids or my kids. Beautiful. Yeah. Let's just give a shout out and a bow of deep gratitude to all the farmers out there, really, that, you know, all our lives depend on. I love that you're acknowledging farming. And I think I, in some ways, try to do the same thing with dance, right? My background is in social dance. Recognize the wisdom that comes from these long-term intergenerational physical practices that we do together. I love that. Thank you for sharing that background. How do you imagine this book being used out there in the world? What are your biggest hopes for it in the overall development landscape? Um, I have a couple small businesses that are actually using as a training program. Like, for example, they will um, each participant has a book and they'll read the chapter. Then during their staff meetings or whatnot, they'll come back and they'll use the questions in the in the questionnaire and the instructor guide to debrief and talk about it. So they don't have to invest a lot of time or money in developing their their staff because some of these smaller organizations, they don't have a large training budget and things of that nature. If I have one manager that reads my book with their team and, and it helps him or her engage their team and, and improve productivity, improve safety numbers, engagement. If I just have one manager to read it, you know, I'm happy. Or if I have one employee that maybe they're working on the on the factory, on the front line of a factory out there, or maybe they're a server in a restaurant, or maybe they're working in an administration um, role. If that helps that individual get recognized to move up for a more advanced career, I'm, I'm very happy for that individual. David, one reason I think your book is important is that the conventional way of talking about getting ahead and getting promoted is by demonstrating leadership or demonstrating leader-like behaviors. And there's a lot of new research that shows it's actually much more likely that you get promoted, especially from the lower levels, for your followership skills, because that is what the folks above you who are doing the promoting most often see. Right. And I feel like this might be one of those like open secrets, but it's worth saying it out loud that if you're really keen on developing your career, focus on your followership. Having said that, do you have any quick tips for frontline workers or folks who may be earlier in their career and want to focus on a couple things to make sure they are being seen as engaged and supportive by their leaders? What would you tell them? Well, I'd, I'd tell them to do the chores. <laughs> so. <laughs> If you demonstrate the skills to effectively work with others, um, I think that will help you get you noticed. And then dealing with conflict, like mm -hmm. like the example I uh, shared with when we were bailing straw in the field, taking initiative. There's a chapter on there about taking initiative where we went out and picked up corn uh, corn cobs that the combine missed uh, in order to make some extra some extra money. 
How about a few tips for senior leaders who want to see more smart followership happening in their teams or organizations? That's a really good question. I think just recognizing and celebrating when someone is is following in a smart manner, right? Uh, we recognize a lot of folks for for leadership, right, for things that they've done exceptionally well, but. But I believe a lot of organizations are out there looking for a competitive advantage, right? How can we, you know, improve, you know, our safety numbers, our retention, our engagements, and so forth? But what if we brought, you know, into the to the organization smart followership skills training? What if we brought that to an organization? What would what would that mean? What would that mean? Yes, let's imagine that world. I think it would mean pretty awesome culture changes and happier, better workplaces for everyone. And I want to point listeners back to an incredible pair of episodes where we describe what happens when an entire organization gets training in both leadership and followership skills. Look for the first episode featuring leadership and followership trainer extraordinaire, Samantha Hurwitz, and then the second one featuring HR consultant, Julie Newman, who coordinated the whole process. What's next for you, David? I know you think about this stuff all the time. Yeah, I do. <laughs> um, any future plans or exciting new projects you want to share with us? Well, you know, I'm contemplating on writing a book called Doing the Chores, Not All Leaders Wear Suits, <laughs> and basically pick up where this book left off. Okay. And so now that you are recognized for an opportunity to move into a, an advanced role, now what? Uh, but the one I'm most excited about, Sharna, is my mom and I, we kind of uh, collaborated on a kid's book. And I just published it uh, this week, so I'm going to be probably communicating it soon. Uh, but it's called Doing the Chores, Be Like a Farmer. Uh, and it's for kids about ages four to eight. Uh, my mom's a retired school teacher and my sister, is a, uh, she's a school teacher as well. And so we decided, well, let's do the chores for kids. And so we did. <laughs> David, thank you so much for giving us this wonderful introduction to doing the chores. We will post a link to both books for adults and for kids in the show notes, as well as your social links so folks can reach out to you there as well. Very best of luck with everything, and I look forward to our next conversation. Thank you for this opportunity. I had a wonderful time. You have been listening to the Lead and Follow podcast. Special thanks to Glover Gill for composing our music. And thank you to all of our subscribers. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting the show with a paid subscription. And if your team or organization is interested in followership training, please reach out anytime. I'd love to help.